You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Well, tonight we are celebrating uh, Women's History Month. I'm so excited. I have been celebrating all month long. First, acknowledging my mother, the strong woman that she is. She's a Marine, a social worker. She has been, she's been in ministry. She has her doctorate. She is just an awesome woman. And I like to say that my strength is based upon her sacrifice, that my confidence is based upon her courage, and that my swag was based upon her cool. So I like to say to Jeanette Ebron, uh, Mama, I love you. To my awesome wife, who is the feminine expression of my masculinity, Shalisa Ebron, I love you so much. Uh, you're an awesome mother, a great educator. And uh, first of all, you're just the apple of my eye. I love you a lot. To every woman that is listening in tonight, I want to tell you that all life emanates from you. So we appreciate you and we thank God for that strength. Now, tonight we're diving into what can be called some very sensitive issues. So again, I place that disclaimer out there. Any children under the age of 13 or 14 uh, who you believe may not be prepared to hear about some real life things of domestic abuse, domestic violence and sexual assault, I ask that you now remove them from the environment of listening to this podcast this week. But we have to talk about life because life is real. To my right, I have my brother of the oldest and the coldest fraternity known to man of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And I have to say the best chapter on the universe, Gamma Lambda Detroit chapter, my brother, Mr. Justin Curry. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Shout out to Gamma Lambda and all the bros in Detroit. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. All right. So, Justin, before we jump and introduce uh, this awesome panel of bold and courageous women, I wanted to make sure we kind of frame like you were the chair uh, for this event, Acknowledging Women's History Month. And so I want to know, like, why was this so important to you? And I want to understand, like, why Alpha has decided to speak out about these issues. Absolutely. Uh, well, from my personal experience, I've actually had a few family members of my own who have experienced uh, sexual assault and domestic abuse. So this is kind of my ode to them and recognizing not just them, but also the women like them who are uh, not as accessible with coming out and providing their stories. Uh, hopefully this will provide more of an incentive to share their truth. And uh, I hope to do that tonight with this podcast. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you, uh, you know, bringing this opportunity. You say, Ebron, mm-hmm. listen, this is something that I feel like we need to give voice to. So tonight the Drawing Board Nation is here to shatter the silence. Uh, we're here to break down the walls and the barriers that exist between our pain, and our healing. So tonight I have three awesome guests. If the Drawing Board Nation could please help me welcome Miss Ashley Pugh. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be be here. All right, great. Glad to have you here. Miss London Reed, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. And Miss Dorma Magruder, great to see you again. Wonderful to see you again, and thank you for having me. And what an incredible incredible introduction. I'm a Marine's daughter. My daddy was a Marine. So I have to meet your mom to say thank <laughs> you because everyone else is a soldier, but a but Marine is a Marine. Absolutely. Hoorah. All right. So, uh, and you know, my father's a Marine also. Oh, and, there was no yeah. hope for you. Then. And so they asked me, they said, Ebron, why didn't you go to, you know, the Marines? I said, because I had 17 years of basic training. <laughs> yes. I had absolutely yes, no need did. to go. And then in studio also, you may not see him on camera, but I want to acknowledge the brother in the room, Jeremiah. Welcome. Welcome to the Drawing Board Podcast. Absolutely. I know he's like, bro, I did not want to be acknowledged, but, <laughs> you know, yeah, Jeremiah, welcome to the show. So. Ashley, I want to start with you, and I want to uh, give some acknowledgement to this wonderful bio that you've written for us. Ashley Pugh is an HR generalist at the Development Center, a mental health organization serving the Detroit metro area. Her interests include neuropsychology as it relates to trauma, helping others understand how trauma affects the brain, how PTSD relates to trauma, and being a resource to help others find freedom after trauma. 
She is a firm believer that exposure and truth are the main keys. Somebody say major key. Major key. To being free in any area of your life. She intends to continue sharing her faith and healing journey so that others affected by sexual assault and their loved ones can live whole, beautiful, and fruitful lives. A native of Detroit, U of M Ross School of Business alum, and fifth-generation pastry chef. Wait, no, wait, hold on. Uh, I don't see any pastries with you right now. What? She's what? watching our yeah. cholesterol. Oh, okay. I didn't want to distract everybody tonight. I was like, yes. let's just stick to it. No, listen, yes. it is, it is, it is Fat Tuesday. Yes. When I saw that you were a fifth-generation pastry chef, I said, she has to bring the goods in. Where, where are, okay. I will forgive you this time. Next week right, we need right. some. Oh man, I'll be on Lent. It'll be forty day fasting. You know, it'll be but, worth it in April. Yeah, you know, right. we'll wait wait till <laughs> April, right? So, uh, but a fifth generation, and I want to speak to that. But fifth generation pastry chef, by the way of her great great grandmother, Ashley intends to prove that great things indeed come from humble beginnings, and that honesty and food can be the highest expression of love. Ashley, welcome to the show again. Thank you, thank you. So, Ashley, let's talk. And feel free, guys. This is just conversational. Um, let's talk about, take me take me through your story. And, you know, give me your, your kind of your highlight reel and what has now made you an ambassador uh, for women that you can speak out and your testimony gives them the freedom to come out as well. Absolutely. So, my story started back in 2014. Okay. I was in banking, doing well, but I decided that I wanted to really get into culinary arts. It was, you know, like I said, homegrown. I grew up in a household with a great-great-grandmother, a set of great-grandparents, and my mother and father. So a very interesting household, everything from scratch. We had a garden in the backyard. Um, so I applied to culinary school. Um, I ended up going out to St. Louis where I was going to school. Okay. And while I was out there, I took myself to birthday dinner and a group of guys saw me. They were like, why are you eating alone? So they gave me a referral to talk to a mortgage broker out in St. the St. Louis area. So I got in touch with the broker. We were emailing back and forth, having phone conversations. Um, I didn't realize at the time that he was grooming me. Um, so my mom took me out to St. Louis. We were out there for a couple of days with him, um, stayed with him. And um, when my mom took off is when the assault happened. Um, so at the time, I my brain kind of shut it out. I didn't know what to call it. I told my friends about it, but nobody said the word rape. Right. So um, I didn't put those words to it until the summer of 2017. So you're talking three years later. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, um, I drove on my way to work after my counselor told me just bawling. I could barely drive. Mm -hmm. I remember the traffic on 94 was horrible. Um, but I made it to work, made it through my shift. And I just had this shift. And I was like, I have to heal. Um, I have to get better because I can't live every day knowing that this is my reality. Mm -hmm. Um and even though it's my reality, I don't want it to be my future. Mm -hmm. So started to go to counseling. I had a bad counselor. There is a such thing as bad counselors. Don't be discouraged. Keep trying till you find the one that fits. Um, but now I am working with the Victims Assistance Program, which actually offers free services for domestic violence and um, sexual assault survivors. So I really like the program. Um, the lady I'm working with right now is amazing. And um, that's where I got interested into the neuropsychology of things because right. I understood why I did what I did, why my memory was so spotty. Um, they encouraged me to go back and make my report. You know, nothing has happened from it since. I did that back in late October. Um, but I just had peace with knowing that my voice was heard. Um, and I held him accountable in that way, even if nothing comes of it, you know, judicially. Um so that's where I am now. I'm grateful to be on the other side, if you will, where I'm mm -hmm. on the survivor side versus just the victim side. Um, so I'm definitely excited to share my story, like how I went through the different steps, making the report, deciding whether or not to make the report. Um, but yeah, that's where I am now. And I'm excited to learn more. I've been doing presentations with my job since we work with the mental health um, population in Detroit. Um, so I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's good. That's good. And a couple of things that you identify as you were talking that there are sides to this and there there has to be a crossover uh, at a point of acknowledgement. Because a lot of people, and some of our listeners now uh, may be still on that victim side mm -hmm. or some people as they were listening 
because when that trauma occurs, body, mind goes in shock. Different things are are happening. The mind suppresses that experience to be able to move forward. Absolutely. And there are certain things in life uh, that could be a trigger to that abuse. And the, the mind begins to realize, oh, wow, listen, I was victimized. I was touched inappropriately. These things happened. And now how do I digest that experience? How do I deal potentially with other people scrutinizing the potential shame that could come of it? And then you had... Uh, a great support network sounds like they got behind you and pushed forward. Thankfully. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there are some people that don't have that support network, you know, and they go through the shame of it. Uh, they go through people feeling like that in some way, shape, form or fashion, the mind rationalizes that they brought that abuse on themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, you use the word mm-hmm. that I want to give some definition to. I'd like for you to bring some formal definition to it. Okay. When you said that he was grooming you. Yes. What did you exactly mean just for our listeners so that we get a concrete definition? Absolutely. So at first he told me that he was only available after a certain time. And I thought that was because he worked a day job and then he came home and did brokerage work from home. But what happened was he actually did his brokerage work during the day. And he told me that certain that specific time because he wanted to talk to me after hours. And I didn't realize that until after I moved to St. Louis and I put two and two together. I was like, oh, that's what he was doing. So um, and grooming could also. So the group that I talked to last, it was a parent group. Um, And I had to tell them, tell your kids body parts. Don't say this such and such touched this your thing like uh-uh. if you say that then uh-huh. the perpetrators are going to know and feed off of that and like oh that's a kid that whose parents or guardians are not talking to them uh-huh. about their bodies about what's an appropriate touch or not right. so call the body parts what they are um if somebody asks to talk to you during specific hours just ask why if they want to meet you alone uh-huh. that's a red uh-huh. flag too uh-huh. um so just you know be aware of the signs it, you can't be overly cautious but there are certain telltale signs so with our audience let's just go ahead and keep it real so no you cannot tell your daughter uh she's calling her vagina her pocketbook uh she's calling her vagina i've heard things like uh calling it a mouse you can click the mouse i've heard things called uh the pokemon uh you know uh call it what it is use the words and then even get uh understand i talk to my kids this way so this is what i understand that here are the formal terms and here are the street terms mm-hmm. yeah. so that nobody, you know, can come to you with any type of enticing words, you know, mm-hmm. and the only people who should be seeing these areas are the following people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, something that I share and I hope that is hopeful, I hope that is helpful, excuse me, is that there is particular, particularly with kids, because I was a uh, foster care worker for many years. I said, I don't care who threatens to do what to the family or who's threatening Tell to me. do anything. Listen. They don't want it with your daddy, you know, and I just be honest, you know, and I put it out that way. Uh, but it's not always, even though I'm saying it this easy, uh, it's complex. It's complicated. It's there are emotions that are attached to this. Uh, there's a belief because uh, before we ever get into it in London, I'd love for you to speak to this. Before there is ever something physical, there's a grooming or a conditioning of the mm-hmm. mind um, before the actual physical touch or before someone decides to abuse somebody physically. So Mm -hmm. it may be, you know, a harsh word at one point. It may be an inanimate object or something the second time. It may be a grasp or a push the next time. Then it may be the on-out physical assault. And speaking more to that, Miss London Reed. Miss London Reed was born and raised in Flint, Michigan. Okay, Flintstone, Flinttown, okay. All right, okay, wait a minute, she threw the 810. Did you see her tilt her head when she threw the 810 out there? A proud product of Flint Community Schools. London moved to Detroit in 2007 and attended Wayne State University, where she earned a bachelor, her bachelor's degree in Near Eastern Studies with a concentration in Arabic. Let me see how I, see how I do. Shokran. Shukran. Shukran. Okay. Shukran. All right. I still didn't get it right. She'll have to teach me afterwards. Shukran. Got it. Yes. All right. And so she's going to help me with my my Arabic afterwards. I'm trying to say thank you. And uh, in 2009, had, so this is what she's saying. In 2009, had chapter name, had it been named, the title would have been Love is What We Called It, But Abuse is what it was. Run Sis, Memoirs of a Broken Woman, 
was born out of agony, agony, but has since created the courageous writer now known as L. M. Reed. London never intended to share her story, but was reluctant enough to make an impact on so many men and women. Although always outspoken, personal endeavors have always been private. However, as the saying goes, nothing grows in your comfort zone, and growth has always been the end goal. L.M. Reed decided that writing would be the best form of therapy and has since been very vocal about the effects of domestic violence and how to go about life after abuse. There will be more to come. Everybody say run, sis. Run, sis. No, you got to say it like you mean it, like you encourage. Say run, sis. Run, run sis. sis. All right, so welcome, London. Tell me about what's your story. Tell me your story. Okay, so 10 years ago, almost to the day, February 28th, yikes, um, I met a guy on the Internet, Facebook. Um, I was not in a good place. I had just gotten into a really bad accident, so depression. I was not in a good state of mind. Um, 14 car accident. And abusers, it's like they gravitate towards people who uh, don't have really high self-esteem. I never had a problem with self-esteem, but it was just not a good point in my life at the time. Um, and he he played on that, so... Um, what you were saying earlier about it, it happening very slowly. So he didn't start putting his hands on me. It started with uh, being controlling, wanting to know where I was all the time, isolating me. That was his main thing. Um, even though I was just in Detroit and Flint, for those who don't know, it's just an hour away. He never wanted me to go to Flint. It's like, I don't want you there. You don't, you know, it would literally stay. Why do you have to go see your family all the time? So we'll start with that. He would want to see what I had on every day. He wanted me to send pictures. He wanted me to get um, an okay if it was like if I was dressed appropriately or not. I was 20, you know. Mm-hmm. Should not be getting approval. I was like, it's not my husband. Um, and then it just started like he would start to grab me, push me up against things, and then I would just kind of brush it off I didn't I would just think he didn't mean it like that like this isn't abuse he's not technically hitting me you know that's what people process they're like well he didn't hit her he just shoved her it's not that big a deal so that's what I was thinking um and then he kind of started getting bold with it he would start cursing me out in public um in front of whoever it would be guys around and they he would go unchecked um and then he started choking me. That was his thing. He he choked me in public. He choked me in a club once. Um, caught the police on me. Said that I tried to harass him. Um, threatened me. Told me he was going to kill me. Just things like that. Um, and what you said earlier about therapists not being a good fit. Oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> Because therapy, I don't want to say this, but in the black community, therapy is like taboo. It is. Yes, it is. The reality of it is, is that therapy in the African-American community it's is taboo because people don't want to acknowledge or want to admit that, you know, cousin has, you know. Yeah. yeah you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. we have to acknowledge that. There are things, and the reason that we're here tonight, and I appreciate you for being so bold and confident and you all for sharing your story, is that we must shatter the silence that is happening right now in so many homes mm-hmm. because we are able to stop some abuse, abuse, prevent some abuse, and help some people heal if we be vocal. Yeah. And so one of the things in your story that you just shared, which I hope that every brother that is listening, is that if you saw a, a man... Do something to a woman. And I know everybody says, I can hear right now, audience saying, well, it's not good to get involved in domestic issues because, you know, things happen. Let me tell you, if you see a woman being beat upon or anybody being abused and you allow it to go unchecked in your presence, you are culpable in the violence that occurs to that individual. So it's time for us to stand up. 
It's time, and this is not one of those things where I'm trying to rally the troops. This is something where I'm speaking directly to you face-to-face, one-on-one. Before you get excited, open your ears and listen to what I'm saying. Make sure that you step up first with the women in your environment that are in your family. Step up for them. And then you'll be able to reach out to others that need help. London, you were saying. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I, I felt that. It's better I, yeah. coming from a guy. Oh, um, no, I mean, hey, we're in this together. So mm-hmm. we're unified. It's, it's, it's not just man, woman. Hey, we are in this thing together because we share the commonality of being human. Right. And nobody has the right or the privilege or excuse to try to subvert the will of another person. Right. So, yeah, London, I got your back. <laughs> Thank <right>? you. <laughs> um, so I was seeing a therapist. It was not for that, though. I was seeing a therapist because I was so traumatized about my car accidents. I was diagnosed with PTSD. But my ex used to um, drop me off to therapy, and he would walk me in because abusers, they have, like, a good side, bad side. So he would walk me in, and he would, like, woo the receptionist, and, you know, and they were just swoon over him. Oh, my gosh, he's so sweet. Does he does he always like this? You're so lucky. And I would just be like, yeah, he's always like this. And then he would leave. And initially I had a woman therapist, and she couldn't see past it. But then I got another therapist. It was a guy. And after so many weeks, he was like, Let's talk about him. And I'm like, I'm here about my car accident. And he's like, oh, okay, sorry. He wanted to talk about my ex. And I was like, I'm here about my car accident. I'm not here to talk about my boyfriend. And he said, "Um, is there anything going on between you guys? I noticed your body language is different when he leaves the room. And I was like, oh, my God, am I that different instantly? And I started telling him a, a little bit more each session. But I knew I couldn't be 100% honest because if he knew I was in danger, he would have to report it. So I held back, but it just spoke volumes to me because I was like, this is bad. And he just told me, you know what, I think he is um, a narcissist. I'm just be honest with you from what I see and from what you're telling me. And he's like, if you're not okay, and he will give me information and I was just like, this is bad because it's starting to show. But eventually, and I'm so happy that you filed a report even though it was later on. Um, while we were together, he abused his the mother of his child. I don't call her his baby mama. Um, and he called me. And he said, just so you know, I'm going to go to jail. They're saying I hit her. And I said, well, who's saying you hit her? And he said, Some guy called and said, I hit her at McDonald's. And I said, did you? He said, no, but I knew he did it. But I was just wanting to believe. So I said, okay. And I didn't go to court with him. And when you don't show up in Michigan, some states, it doesn't matter if you don't show up, you're going to jail regardless. Michigan, if you don't show up, the charges are dropped. So the charges were dropped. After so long with me, I would say the police were involved with us maybe six times. Uh, police would beg me to file charges, and I would be like, no, it's okay. And it got to the point, the last time, it wasn't even that bad, the the time that was just like, that did it for me, when I finally called the police, it's so hard to follow through. Like, even when I filed the police report, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I want to call him, I don't want to do this. And he was texting me like, this isn't us. I'm sorry. Uh, Just let me come talk to you. And I was just thinking, he's going to do this again. If I don't do this, he's going to do this again. And say I am strong enough to actually break up with him and stay gone this time. There's going to be nothing on his record. And I don't want to blame the mother of his child, but she did not set me up for success. And I was like, I'm going to set the next person up for success. It was like, knock on wood, I don't want there to be another victim, but I know he will hit someone else. So that kind of is what kept me motivated because he actually, this is not relevant to abuse at all, but he cheated on me the entire time. And the girl he cheated on me with, she was by his side in court. And there was just like 
as a woman, I was just like, how could you be there with him mm-hmm. by his side? Mm-hmm. As, and he's an abuser. And he lied in court. And anybody who's listening, it's so hard. But if you do nothing else, you got to have a paper trail. Paper trail, paper trail, paper trail. Because it's your word versus theirs. And if you document it, you're at least speaking to their character. So what I had to do, the internet was my best friend. Twitter was, I was big on Twitter at the time, but I had blocked him. He could not help himself. He could not stop talking about me. He was obsessed with me. Even while we were going to court, people would uh, send me screenshots. He was threatening me. He knew where I lived. And he was tweeting threats. I know where you live. I'll pull up. I know where you work. You don't want to play with me. This, that, and the third. But in court, the judge, he was just selling him this story. And I was like, I'm going to lose. I represented myself. I was by myself. He had a lawyer. I was alone. I didn't tell my parents. And paper trail ladies, guys, whatever. I went to the library. I printed out those tweets on an 8 by 10 I was like, you're not about to do this. I went to court with my manila folder, and his handler had his picture. And at the very last minute, I said, Your Honor, can I please show you something? And I handed him over those tweets, and it timestamp, date, his picture. And he said, is this you? And he read the tweets out loud. And I'm like, yes, that's him. Him right there telling you those lies for like months. He said he's going to kill me. Yes. And he was just like, I have no choice but to sentence you now. And don't get discouraged because domestic violence, domestic violence offenders do not, it doesn't come with a heavy sentence. Not the first time. It was such a small victory uh, on paper, but it was huge for me because I did it by myself. Um, he only got probation. He only got probation. Um, but when I wrote my book, I was like, humor myself. I looked him up on Otis. He's a three-time offender. And it's because of me that that paper trail started. I feel bad for the people that followed me, but it's so important to do that paper trail. So important if you do nothing else. Even if you do it later on. And I'm so happy you did it later on. And I'm proud Mandatory. of you for doing all Thank your own. Thank you. Yeah, that's, absolutely. absolutely. So the fact yeah. that you had the courage. And somebody else is thinking that too. Now, my question for you is, do you feel like you had to do it alone? Yeah. I got people involved once. And I won't say once. I got a guy friend involved once, live during a dispute. The time he called the police on me and he said I was trying to kill him after he assaulted me. And at the time I didn't have a car and I was at his mercy. He told me to get out in the middle of the night in October, maybe midnight. I called my friend, I I didn't have anywhere to go. This is no Uber, no Lyft, 10 years ago. Right. And He's he's jealous in a jealous rage, and I was like, "Hey, my friend goes, what's up, DZ? And I'm like, uh, my voice is shaking. I was like, "Can you come get me?" And he's yelling in the background, I'm like, "Who the f is that? And you cheating on me?" And and then all he, my friend hears is me getting slammed into the wall and me screaming. And he's like, "Stay on the phone, don't hang up." So he left work in the middle of the night, and I didn't. Think about it 100% because my friend has a CCW. Not that he would kill for me or anything, but you don't want to involve people because you don't want that on your conscience. Mm -hmm. And he was so mad. He pulled up and he did not close the door. Luckily, the police pulled up at the same time and he was just like, you want to throw some throw some now absolutely and he had a gun on his hip and i was just like oh my god what did i do and luckily the police were cool the climate is different was different then than what it is now with police and african-american males 
Because just think, he had a gun on his hip. He was ready to fight. I'm so glad nothing happened. They were just like, calm down. Even though he called the police on me, I was I was bleeding. He, he threw me out. My jeans were ripped. There was blood coming through my knees. And they were like, we know you didn't do anything to him. So didn't feel like I had to go through it alone. But yes. So, yeah. So let me, so let me, I guess we're trying to get some framing for those who might be listening. So you were more concerned, and I'm listening to you, you were actually more concerned about what may be the result for other people who got involved as opposed to yes. them coming to help you. Yes. And even when I listen to you talk about like you creating the paper trail, like sounds like some of the resolve that you made in getting it done was not so much to protect yourself, but to protect the next person. Yes. That's and, what got me there. And, right. And that's and whatever it is like for you at this point, because some will say, well, she should have done that paper trail to protect yeah, herself. However, I think that is so courageous of you to go before the court because uh, when you describe this gentleman, sounds like he had the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde going on where, you know, he was very charismatic and engaging and, you know, was able to be enticing with his words and, you know, draw people in. And the whole time he was being the very opposite to you. And so I do want to submit at this time that domestic violence has nothing to do with someone having an anger problem. Let's go ahead and move that out of the way. Domestic violence is not a matter of anger or a lack of control. It is very controlled. It is very planned. In fact, it is a power. It's an issue of power and control. And I am a man of faith. And I just believe that if God won't even override your will, that nobody living, breathing, or moving has that right. So when you stood up and you spoke up and now he's on Otis three times and, you know, because you started that paper trail and you were bold enough to stand before the, co- the court and a uh, shout out to all the friends that were screenshotting and sending stuff, letting yes. them know, all right? <laughs> Thank uh, you. Because uh, your safety matters. And uh, I've been in that position before with one of my loved ones where we were definitely ready to ride out on whoever it was. And the interesting thing is that Sometimes um, in that situation, and it does hurt, brothers. Sisters, you know it hurts when you show up for your loved one uh-huh. and they are not ready to leave. Uh-huh. But let me Several also times, submit yeah. to you all that leaving is also a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some can do it right away. Some, you know, it takes a process to get out. But this is what I encourage because I've heard so many family members say, and if you said it, I need you to retract that statement mm-hmm. where you say, oh, well, if she just want to be over there with him, you know, then, you know, I'm, you know, if that's just where she wants to be. No, what you need to understand is that it didn't happen overnight and it may not process out overnight. So you just need to be there and support your loved one, even through what you consider a poor decision. Now, Miss uh, Dorma Magruder, you could talk a lot about this. We have had a couple phone conversations, and you are chock full of wisdom and experience. And you've written this book called One Bad Decision. One bad decision put me in hell. One good decision got me out. Uh Dorma Magruder is a published author, columnist, ghostwriter, and transformational speaker. She started a pilot program teaching Detroit middle school students to write and publish their own books. Her passion is helping youth and adults share their stories to strengthen others. Dorma's spoken and written masterpieces draw many to move to the other side of courage to reveal their best self. Dorma, I want to hear what you have to say about this issue. Tell me about your story. Okay, who was that you were reading about just then? Oh, listen, that's you. I have this. I have this lovely screenshot. You hey, listen. You giving a little bit of. You giving a little bit of face in this picture. A little bit of lean in. You know, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for Absolutely. having me. I was. My story is different from both of my sisters here, and I take nothing away or minimize uh, nothing. <clears throat> because I think uh, God handpicks. He knows what he built into us, just like we know what's built into a house. He knows what each one of us can stand, even when we don't like it. My situation was not physical. I did not know I was battered for 10 years because he never hit me. It was sexual, mental, financial, verbal, emotional. 
I started out, I had a very successful word processing service. This was, I'm telling my age now, this was when we didn't have computers, but it was just the word processor. Okay? I'm familiar. Was it Brother? It was, yes. Brother Word? No, Pro- I had the HP. HP, okay, you had the I, HP. I moved word. up. Oh, you moved up. I moved okay. up. And I had, I, I had, but I had five and a quarter inch discs, and then I graduated to three and a half inch discs. Oh, wow. Listen, yeah, oh, yeah. I, had, see, I, had, I had the Brother Word processor, mm-hmm. okay? And mm-hmm. so I'm telling my age too. Oh, yeah. No, okay. And, and Hey. Remember, we thought we we thought we really had a lot of memory. Remember, we had five K, five twelve K. Listen, let, let me tell you, and I had my little screen on there. You couldn't tell you me couldn't anything. Tell us nothing. I'm telling you, oh my goodness! <laughs> and uh, I was working for the Defense Department doing the budget, and when they brought the word processors in, they wouldn't teach me. They would teach the others who did not look like me, but they wouldn't teach me. And so my daddy, the Marine, absolutely told me when I was two, you can because I could read. He said anything you want want to know is in a book just read always teach yourself what you want to know so I started coming into the federal building at four o'clock in the morning and I taught myself the word processor and left started a typing service in Southfield got my typing speed up to 150 words a minute and I walked and I was doing well my average day this is back in 87 89 my average day was 350 dollars Okay. My record day was $1,700. All right. My client list, uh, Bishop Noel Jones, Bishop Jackie McCullough, Coleman Young, Bishop David Ellis, Les Brown. Those were my clients. Those were the people that were coming to get things typed. Les Brown, in fact, gave me a quote for my book after he read it. And I'm doing well. And in walks Tyrone. And nothing special about him. Ladies, look, they do not have to be Idris Elba or Denzel or anything. It's just them. It's how they are. And when they catch you at the right moment and they say the right thing and and say it the right way and catch you with your low self-esteem, okay, because even though I had all of this going for me, I still believed. I didn't believe I needed a man to complete complete me. I believed I needed him to complete me because he began to tell me he was an ordained minister and I'm going to be a pastor and you're going to be my first lady and you know you can help me run the church and you can help me get business started and I started inviting him over for dinner and he began to uh, pray on my the woman thing the mother thing the sympathy thing that all women have it's just that some of us go into it deeper than others. Well, I need some money to help my daughter pay her rent. I need money to help pay this. I need money. And so because I'm making money, he made me feel guilty about my success and made me feel like I owed him what I had worked for that he had nothing to do with. And my business began to suffer. And I be, he told me, you don't need to go around your family. You don't need to be with your friends. You need to be with me. And you, I, I allowed him to move into my apartment because I'm desperate. Okay. And, and, and I don't care if you judge me. Okay. Cause we all, I made one bad decision. All right. And right. like the cues say about the alphas, everybody's entitled to one mistake. And the alphas say about the cues, everybody's entitled to one mistake. But only one of those statements but only is one, true. Right. That, only like one the alphas say to the true. other fraternities, yeah, everybody's that's entitled true. to one Hold mistake. Hold on, wait a minute. Let's take a station. <laughs> Hold it. All right. To, to all of my fellow uh, Greek brothers out there, it is all peace and love. But, Be advised uh, yeah. that my best mentor is an alpha brother. Yes. But we, we all understand <laughs> how this started in 1906. In 1906. As we were. <laughs> and um, so... Um, I'm losing family. I'm losing friends. I'm losing myself. And he's not touched me sexually. And because I was so desperate to be in love, I'm saying, well, when are we going to have sex? And he says, well, no, I can't touch you because, you know, you, you're going to be my first lady and God would really get me if I did that. Well, he came over one Sunday afternoon and raped me. And it snowballed. Because he said, this is how I'm showing how much I love you. And it was for seven, eight years beyond that. That's what it was. And it was, I need, he would come to my office and sit and watch my clients and then count my money based on pricing and tell me how much money I had to give him. And when I'm saying I have to pay the bills here, no, you don't have to do that. And you have to give it to me. 
And it was mental. And it was, you're the first ugly woman I've ever been involved with. All my women have been pretty before you. Well, one thing that is absolutely true in any setting, whether it is positive or negative, you can attest to this with therapy, whether it is good or bad, whether it is romantic or whether it is parental as a counselor, as a parent, foster parent. When a person gets your mind, they've got you. Absolutely. That's why the Bible speaks of, all right, when a person gets your mind, they've got you. That is how good men get good women, okay? They get our minds. and that that's So he had my mind, and he convinced me that I needed him and that he was the only thing that would help me. And when I looked up, I looked in the mirror, and I didn't recognize myself, and I understood why people were passing me by in the mall. I had bags under my eyes. My hair, which started out down to here, was broken off, and I'm—, I'm, I'm I, Lost my business. I started doing freelance typing and I'm working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. He's forcing me to give him my money and I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it anymore. And so I came home and I got my Darva set and my Tylenol 4 and I put it on the table and I crawled up under the dining room table and I prayed and I said, God, I'm getting ready to take my life. Now, if you're going to fix this, you got to fix this. I know I made this one bad decision, but help me and come see about me. And Before I could get up and take the pills, I felt something like a bowling ball pass out of my body, and I left. I was very fortunate because he did not come looking for me, and I stayed in Detroit. I have not seen him since that day. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's living or dead, but I know that I had to do something. Well, I started writing because I still wanted to take my life because I was feeling worthless, because I had let God down. God had given me a gift and a business, and I, I gave it away. God had given me good people in my life, and I gave all of that away. And I was doing things with my body that I shouldn't have been doing. The temple, okay? And and I wasn't his perfect child, but I shouldn't have been doing those things. And, and I let my family down, and I let me down. And what on earth is going to happen to me now? I felt like I was worthless. And he took all of that, okay? He took all of that. And in fact, I gave all of that and there was no reason for me to give it other than I felt desperate. And in making that one bad decision, when I finally realized, wait a minute, you are a victim of domestic abuse because when you break down the word abuse, it is ab use, which is abnormal usage. And when you are being mean to me, when you are telling me that I'm ugly, when you are telling me that I owe you my money, when you are forcing me to do things sexually that I don't want to do, that I find degrading... You are engaging in abnormal usage. And when you are encouraging me to do this and forcing me to do this, that's abuse. And so it was either write or take my life. So I started writing. I started typing to get the pain out, just to get the pain out. And as I'm typing, I said, wait a minute. If this is helping me to write it, maybe it'll help someone to read it. Therapists have ordered it. What I didn't know, a therapist in Birmingham, Michigan, bought 12 for her patients. Of those 12, Seven were going to commit suicide. Of those seven who were going to commit suicide, three were going to kill their husbands first and then their children and then themselves. All of them read the book and they said, if Dorma can survive this, I can too. And they left. Fathers bought it for their daughters and said, okay, this is how he's treating her and she needs to see it. College students have called me back and said, I was able to get out of the relationship because I didn't know I was battered because he's checking my phone. Why does anybody need to check your phone for anything? Okay. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if we are married. It do- I could be planning you a surprise party, mm-hmm. whether I am or not. It's just not your business. Okay. Where are you going? What, what time are you going to be back? Why? Okay. If you're that concerned, come and go with me. I didn't invite you because it's not your business. I was involved with someone. Really, I was dating someone, a businessman. And a girlfriend of mine called me. Girl, he's sitting here in this restaurant at a table with some woman. You need to call him or you need to come on over here and see what he's doing and and correct him. I said, why? Because that's your man. I said, okay, number one, he's not my daddy and he's not my child. Secondly, he's a businessman. I don't know what he's doing. Well, it turns out he was negotiating a multi-million dollar contract. And that was the final meeting. And they sat there and hammered everything out and signed the paperwork. Okay. So you just don't know. I digress with that uh, nosy girlfriends. But 
<laughs> no, no, that, but yeah. that is a very real a thing. word. And, and, Thank you. You know, you, so, but, Thank you. <laughs> but, but in writing the book and publishing my book, I wanted my sisters to don't cry, Dorma. I wanted my sisters because I believed victims of domestic violence were anybody in this room. Stop me when I'm wrong with this conception. I believed all victims of domestic violence were poor were drug addicts, were homeless, or were just no good women. I didn't know a successful businesswoman bordering on mid-six figures could be a victim of domestic violence. I did not know that a woman who was not beaten and didn't have bloody lips and broken teeth could not be a victim of domestic violence. I didn't know that. I was in the elevator at the Rensen coming down from uh, when I was working there and I got on at 35 and went down a few floors and this lady got on extremely well dressed. You all can appreciate this. You could see the money, just a little bit of jewelry, but it was tasteful. Okay. <laughs> black suede suit, black suede shoes and a fur coat that almost filled up the elevator. That, <laughs> made, <laughs> that made you say, Jesus. Shout out for the fur coat. <laughs> <laughs> she gets on the elevator and then the next floor down, a young lady gets on and she says, Oh, we were looking for you. Well, at this point I'm smelling alcohol on the first lady who gets on the elevator. And then we go down a few more floors and a man gets on and he says, um, are you okay? And, and she's, the older lady is crying. The first lady is crying. Okay. And I'm wondering, oh my goodness, what's happening? And, and, and all, none of these people look like me, you know, so they're embarrassed. And then the first lady with all the money, she starts throwing up and they said, okay, we're going to get you home. We're going to get you home. She says, no, don't take me home. Get me a hotel room. They said, why wow, you got this big house on Lakeshore Drive? I said, I'll go. No, they said, you got this big house on Lakeshore Drive? What do you mean you don't want to go home? She said, because when I go home, he's going to beat me again. Absolutely. I met the woman two weeks later at the office Christmas party. She was a senior partner at one of the major accounting firms back then pulling seven figures. So it is at all levels. And I want my sisters to know, number one, you are not alone. All right. You are not alone. If you are a successful businesswoman, if you are educated, if you are well-taught, well-learned, well-read, you are not alone. And if he is not treating you right, you have the right. You owe God, you owe you, you owe me, you owe all of us to be your best and to have life's best. We're going through this way one time. No one has come back and told us, oh, yeah, you need to come back and do this again. We're going through here one time. You deserve the best. The only thing worse than being alone is wishing you were alone. One of the things that made me want to write, to work with the children, in public schools for writing books because in talking to them and listening to them, you know, and, and they will get to pick the subject that they write about. You know what they want to talk about? My daddy beat my mama. Mm. My mama beat my sister. My daddy beat me. My brother hits me. These are the things that they, well, if they can get it out, we can get them some help. Absolutely. Okay. And then if we can get it in them when they are in the fourth and fifth grade, that they deserve God's best. When they hit their teens, they won't take it. And when they get our age, it's out of the question. But we're also letting the men know how to be better men. Because when I see all of these kinds of stories coming from the young brothers, then I can call my three brothers here at the table. Hey, you all need to come in and talk to these boys and let these young men and let them know this is not normal behavior. I want my sisters to know <clears throat> whatever you have to do to get help. I can't, t I can't talk to anybody about filing paperwork. I couldn't file papers. Okay. First of all, he lived with me mm. and he wasn't going to be there. So I couldn't do that. And I was afraid. I applaud you and I applaud you. I was terrified. But I left, all right? Yeah. And so, sisters, you're not alone. Go to my website, um, and, and you, you can buy the book. But make sure that you begin to love you first. Make love to you. And that involves feeding your mind and your heart and your spirit those rich, beautiful things that you need. When you go go somewhere and get you a dozen roses. It does you don't have to spend a hundred dollars. So let, let me ask you, Ms. Dorman, because you are chock full of wisdom and we can sit here at the feet of our elders and just glean <laughs> all day. Huh? Oh no, no, no. I'm <laughs> no, saying No, I'm proud of sixty one. No, no. Somebody didn't make it to sixty one. Absolutely. Right? When I say when I say elders, I say that no, with the utmost you, respect. I know. You know, so if I got uh, a problem, I'll call your mom. Oh, I know dad. you would. I know you would. And listen. I got man, Marines. Hey, she, and they would get on my case just the same. Um 
when I think about, and we've had a chance to hear three very different experiences uh, from three very oh. successful young ladies. And when you talk about, when you talk about um, domestic violence, not knowing a socioeconomic level, when you talk about domestic violence, not even really knowing a race or ethnicity or cultural yes. background, when you talk about domestic violence that may be on Lakeshore Drive and on Outer Drive, you know, uh, and, on Rosa and, on, Parks. and on Rosa Parks and, and <laughs> yeah, all, all around the city. Yes. And here's the thing that uh, when I walk in the downtown city streets and I get a chance to think about whose whose feet have crossed those paths. And when I get a chance to be in, like when I stand in Kobo and I walk into other large establishments like that, I look around and I see all of these beautiful people who express God in a way that only they can. And I see people who are also carrying things that they may never, ever voice or talk about. Mm -hmm. But when somebody has the courage to stand up for what's right, when someone has the ability to reflect on an experience and process, because what you did was you processed through mm -hmm. with the counselors. Some of the counselors were not prepared. Mm -hmm. Some of the counselors couldn't connect because or the counselor care. and uh, someone going to counseling, it is a relationship. And, it, and like all things, that relationship has to be solid. So make sure, Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Make sure yes, if you are uh, whatever your faith practice or happens to be, like someone who can align with your core values so that when they're giving you instructions on how to cope and how to process through, that is registering with your core first. And, and then and that is confidential yes. and you're not seeing people out and they're like, hey, shh, you know, that's so. And I'm telling you not what Girl, I think. I I'm telling you what I know. Yes. And then we have Ms. Dorman Magruder here who is breaking it down and how saying how one bad decision. Read put the her top in, line on the back. Oh, watch out. We on have two minutes left. Okay. So I'm going to invite them to go to your <laughs> okay. website. Okay. All right. All right. And yes. what we're going to do now is I want you all, if you would like to give them your social media handles, because somebody out here may want to reach out to you for help. So, Ashley, where can we find you? On Instagram at Maybell Marie, um, and also at Nevea, which is Heaven Backwards underscore STL. Uh, okay, great, Miss Dorma. Where can we find you? Okay, I'm showing my age now. Facebook Dorma Magruder. All right. Twitter at Dorma Jean. <laughs> Website Dorma Magruder .com. Can I get phone number? If you would like. Phone number three one three two eight two three three eight two. And I would love to hear from anyone. Whatever I can do, I will do. And if you just need somebody to listen and pray, let's roll. All right. <laughs> and London, where can we find you? Uh, Facebook, L-M, as in mahogany, read, R-E-I-D, so L-M-R-E-I-D on Facebook. Instagram, at Lundeezy, L-U-N-D-E-E-Z-Y. And my book is on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and iTunes. That's Run Sis. If you just type that in with Amazon, it'll pop up. Awesome. And as I say, with about 15 seconds left, remember that your future is not before you. It is not behind you. It is within you. And I'm Andre Ebron, the author of The Drawing Board, The Drawing Board Podcast. And to come, get yourself ready. The Drawing Board Experience, June 22nd at King. Have a blessed evening. And God bless you.